Today's insight. New Zealand's incarceration rate is soaring. Recently released figures show the prison population has doubled in the past 20 years. Supporters of restorative justice hold it up as a viable alternative and say bringing victims together with the offender can make a real difference. But six years after a restorative justice system for adult offenders became enshrined in legislation, how is it doing at reducing the reoffending rate? Penny Smith investigates. I've come to the wide open space of a shopping mall car park to meet Linda, who has first-hand experience of fronting up to an offender. She was hesitant to meet me at home, but wants to share her story of forgiveness. Because forgiveness, it's black and white. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you reach a point of thinking, if I don't unshackle myself from this, I'm not moving on, and it's harmful. But... Um, the prison was an amazing experience. Um, I was able to hug the person that murdered my son. Linda's son, Justin, would have turned 33 on Queen's birthday. He was murdered eight years ago by a man with whom he was wanting to be mates. Although a second person was implicated in Justin's murder, he was never prosecuted. For Linda, that left a constant revisiting of how her son died. A concha, you dream about what happens. I did. I dreamt about it. Every single little detail. Um, I was running on anger, rage. It was like driving down the street and look at me the wrong way. I can't describe the anger. Six years after her son's death, Linda came across information on the Prison Fellowship's Sycamore Tree program and decided to take part. Led by a trained facilitator, it involves five offenders and five victims gathering together in a panel situation to discuss the impact of crime on their lives. Although sycamore tree victims don't meet with the actual people who offended against them, at the end of the programme, Linda was given the opportunity to write or meet with the man who took her son's life. She decided she wanted to meet him face to face, but says it wasn't a decision she made lightly. When you lose someone you love like that, it's, it's quite difficult to sort of move away from that because you somehow feel as though you're losing something of what your son was, of how he died, of you, you're betraying him in a sense. I went through that, of thinking that, and then I thought, oh no, my son would want this. He would want me to have done what I did. The first moments of Linda's encounter with her son's killer were hostile. She received very little eye contact and was asked to remove a photo she had brought of her son. But sometime during their interaction, something changed. She was told her son did not provoke his own murder, which brought her comfort. The young man opposite her sat up in his chair, looked her in the eye and told her he would try to make something of his life when he got out of prison. And then, in a move Linda puts down to her strong Christian faith, she hugged him. It's something she understands many would find remarkable. It's easy to see an offender as an ogre, and some of them are, don't get me wrong. But you can build it up in your mind, you can replay and replay. When you actually see someone, sit with them, talk with them, eyeball them, it's powerful. Although the killer of Linda's son was already in prison when she met him, post-sentence conferences are just one form of restorative justice available in this country. Tim Clark is the chair of Restorative Justice Aotearoa, the National Association of Restorative Justice Providers. 
He says most of the restorative justice conferences that happen in New Zealand are before an offender is sentenced, but after they have been convicted. By and large, people have to have pleaded guilty to be able to qualify for a restorative justice process. And then a case is referred to a restorative justice provider group who make contact with the offender and with the victim, talk to them very carefully about the possibility of a restorative justice process, ensure that they know that it's a voluntary process that they can choose or to be involved in or not, and if they do choose to proceed, then to set up and facilitate that meeting. There are other restorative justice um, services being provided. Um, there is some post-conviction, post-sentence um, stuff that's being done, particularly in prisons with a view to reintegration into communities. And there's some great work being done in schools, for example, in terms of dealing with issues around school conduct and um, relationships between students and things. So there's a whole lot of areas in which it's growing and being recognised as, as an effective way of, of not just addressing offending circumstances but actually building a sense of responsibility um, around the, the community involvement in that. The Ministry of Justice anticipates that over 1,400 restorative justice conferences will be completed this year, facilitated through 29 community-based groups across 30 district courts. Tim Clark says the number of groups his organisation represents has grown substantially over the past five years. The barrister and former probation officer says people are beginning to realise the void restorative justice can fill within the current criminal justice system. The number of young men in particular that I saw stand in the dock and gaze vacantly at the wall and not listen to what the judge said and go off and do a sentence of whatever they had to do and think that they were only there because they were dumb enough to get caught I think is an indictment really in relation to the process. This country's restorative justice movement began gathering momentum in 1989 when Parliament enacted the Children, Young Persons and Their Families Act, making family group conferences a preference to court hearings. The chair of the parole board and a former principal youth court judge, David Carruthers, was one of the early pioneers of the family group conference model. In his office overlooking Wellington's busy Lambton Quay, I asked him how this form of restorative justice was initially viewed. I think it was viewed with great hope by most people. There were some very um, significant leaders, Mike Dolan from the Child, Youth and Family, Judge McBrown, people who were pioneering this way of working, who went around the country speaking about it. I remember it as very exciting times. Restorative justice procedures for adult offenders received formal recognition with the passing of the Sentencing, Parole and Victims' Rights Act 2002 and the Corrections Act 2004. The acts mean outcomes of victim-offender conferences have to be taken into account in decisions relating to the sentencing and parole of offenders. A key gatekeeper for when inmates are released from prison, David Carruthers is very fond of the restorative justice system, but he concedes there are some situations where it's not appropriate. When someone who's committed a crime, for example, is not at all sorry, not at all remorseful, in fact proud of it, or blames others, uh, all those sorts of reasons. Uh, some sexual offending is very much in that category, which would be very tough on people. So there are categories where that wouldn't be the case. And it starts, I think, with an acknowledgement by the person responsible that they are in fact responsible and accept it. David Carruthers says for an isolated country like New Zealand, there are good reasons why the opportunity for victims and offenders to meet face-to-face is beneficial. There is a wider interest in all of us living in a small country in trying to ensure that 
those things are reconciled so that we don't live with reprisals and people don't live in fear of bumping into each other and meeting people unexpectedly or being afraid again. So if we can do something better about that, then why should we not? The latest official figures show this country's prison population has grown from 91 inmates per 100,000 people in 1987 to 188 inmates in 2007. That makes New Zealand's incarceration rate higher than anywhere in Western Europe and it's reaching the levels of former communist countries of Eastern Europe. Tim Clark from Restorative Justice Aotearoa is concerned imprisonment is being overused as an option. If what we're doing is setting up a system that in fact eats into social f- fabric, erodes the connections, the relationships between people and society, including offenders, and increases the need for um, options like imprisonment instead of a more constructive options, then I think we're on a slippery slope. Recidivism, or reoffending is also high. Of the almost 5,000 offenders released from jail between April 2002 and March 2003, about two in every three had been previously imprisoned. And of those who were deemed to be of high risk of reoffending, 60% were re-imprisoned within four years. Tim Clark says recidivism is a hard cycle to break. Each time a person gets involved in the criminal justice process, it seems that for a period of their life at least, the chances of them being re-involved in the criminal justice system by offending again has increased. Um, I've also heard, and I've, I was trying to track the source of the statistic, but that the family member, the son of, of a man who is imprisoned, is something like nine times more likely to be imprisoned um, themselves. In 2005, the Ministry of Justice released a report examining reoffending by those who attended a restorative justice conference. The two-year follow-up was an evaluation of a court-referred restorative justice pilot that the ministry set up in four courts throughout New Zealand between 2000 and 2001. The evaluation found that after one year there was a 4% reduction in the reconviction rate of offenders who had attended a restorative justice conference, compared to offenders in similar comparison groups. Tim Clark from Restorative Justice Aotearoa says on one level that difference may seem marginal. But he says when the high social and economic cost of the imprisonment rate is calculated and the victim satisfaction that comes from restorative justice conferences is considered, the level of improvement takes on new significance. Both in terms of the Ministry of Justice statistics from the pilot, where the levels of victim satisfaction uh, with the process of restorative justice were extremely high, and in my own anecdotal experience of running restorative justice conferences, there is huge change that is made for victims of offences in terms of their understanding of the whole situation and them being able to get a clean breast of it really and being able to get on with their lives and also in terms of offenders gaining a true appreciation of what it is that they've done. At a prison fellowship conference in Wellington, the call for change to the penal system has reached a fever pitch. Among the crowd is a woman who knows prisons from the inside out. Jackie Katunis's career as a criminal started when she was 12. She graduated from a girls' home to Auckland Maximum Security Prison by the time she was 16 and spent the next two decades in and out of Australian jails. 
A heroin addict for 12 years, her 138 convictions include drug dealing, armed robbery and fraud. But in 1994, when she returned to New Zealand, Jackie's life changed. She received stolen furniture, only to find out she knew her victim, a hotel owner who had been good to her. Overcome with guilt and shame, she approached the publican to apologise. To her surprise, he forgave her. It was a total shock for me, and to be quite honest with you, I was absolutely terrified at the prospect of coming face to face with him. As much as I knew the guy, I didn't know what his reaction was going to be, and I was pretty nervous and pretty scared about what that could possibly look like. Uh, it was m much easier for me to go and rob a bank. Um, this was extremely difficult. From recidivist to reformer, Jackie Katunas is now the manager of Prison Fellowship's Restorative Justice Division. The majority of the conferences the organisation facilitates are between victims and offenders who are already serving a prison sentence, with a view of reintegrating prisoners back into the community. And it says it has experienced a surge in demand over the past six years. In fact, in the first two months of this year, Prison Fellowship received an average of one conference request every two days, with about two-thirds of the demand coming from prisoners. But Jackie Katuna says out of the 200-odd referrals she would get in one year, just 20 actual conferences take place. She puts the disparity down to the fact restorative justice conferences are completely voluntary. It is a victim-centred process. We're centering on the harm. So I'm not saying that the victim calls all the shots. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the victim needs to be a part of the process with a, a, a willing uh, prisoner or offender for there to be any face-to-face -face meeting. Jackie Katunas believes too much emphasis is put on the reoffending rate of those who take part in the restorative justice system. Instead, she points to research she says highlights the high level of satisfaction that can be felt by victims who choose to participate. Recently, an Australian researcher, Dr Heather Strang, compared a group who went through a restorative justice process with a control group who went through the court system. Her research showed three times as many court-assigned property victims and five times as many violence victims feared that their offenders would re-offend against them, compared to their conference-assigned counterparts. It also found that 86% of those attending conferences received apologies from their offenders, compared to only 16% of those who went to court. Conference participants also experienced significant decreases in anger. Jackie Katunas. I do struggle with measuring the effectiveness and this is where I think we've been given the wrong impression about it being offender driven because we're looking for measurements in ways uh, that we can only measure an offender, whether they re-offend, whether they go back to prison again. Where is the victim satisfaction measurement in that? The Sensible Sentencing Trust represents the victims of some of this country's most horrific crime. Its spokesperson Garth McVicker has long argued for tougher sentences, especially for violent reoffenders. Mr McVicker is in favour of the post-sentencing model of restorative justice. He says the only reason an offender would want to attend a conference from prison is if they genuinely wanted to be accountable for their crime. But Mr McVicker believes New Zealand has rushed into adopting the pre-sentencing model of restorative justice before results from nationwide trials have been reviewed. He says restorative justice has a lot of potential, but is concerned it could become a byproduct of what he terms as this country's criminal-centred, offender-friendly legal process.
I fear that it's in danger of self-destructing if we don't make some some changes, which will ultimately lead to it being scrapped altogether. And, you know, some of my reasons for that is, you know, recently um, Rita Kroski was told that she was denying Bailey Jr. Kariki the opportunity, by not wanting to meet him, she was denying him the opportunity of moving on. That was hugely offensive to Rita. I mean, it was all, the comments were all about the offender, which is quite, I believe, quite dangerous. Garth McVicker says there is slim evidence to prove that restorative justice has any influence on this country's reoffending rate. And he says in some cases the time taken for victim-offender conferences to be arranged can delay the course of justice. At present, you've seen a number of judges in Tauranga and different courts around the country that have actually held up sentencing, waiting for a restorative justice conference to be held, not just waiting for the outcomes, waiting for a restorative justice to be held. It was never, never intended for that to happen, but that seems to be um, evolving throughout our courts. Tim Clark from Restorative Justice Aotearoa agrees any delay in sentencing is frustrating for everyone involved. He says the situation is made worse by a justice system that only allows victims and offenders to have a formal relationship with each other. But he doesn't believe restorative justice conferences are adding to the problem. I think the norm for a restorative justice conference adjournment for a restorative justice conference to take place is about six weeks, and that's, um, as I understand it, roughly what it is for a pre-sentence report too. And if the system works well, then ideally those two things um, happen alongside each other. So you can argue that, in fact, there's no additional delay caused by a referral to a restorative justice process. Garth McVicker is also critical of the lack of uniformity in restorative justice conferences being held throughout the country. The Ministry of Justice is currently collecting data for a review of the delivery of restorative justice conferences at district courts. Among other things, it's already identified differences in the way that people who provide conferences are paid, the types of case and seriousness of offences dealt with, and the way in which cases are referred. Restorative Justice Aotearoa is working with the Ministry in reviewing its processes to make sure its providers are following best practice. Its chairperson Tim Clark says there's a danger that establishing blanket rules across the country could squash some of the individual brilliance of restorative justice providers, but he accepts there is a need for a set of standards. It's important that those groups are able to retain their individuality and their links with the community. But then on the other token, it's also the case that there needs to be consistent standards and people need to know going into a restorative justice process that it's going to be fair and safe and appropriate and run in the best way possible. But Garth McVicker's biggest criticism of court-referred restorative justice conferences is the risk they could lead to offenders getting lighter sentences. I can understand offenders wanting to go through it because it can earn them a discount on their sentence if if they um, attend the restorative justice conference. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to comply with the outcomes of that restorative justice conference, but they've earned the discount on their sentence. This suggestion is rejected by supporters of the restorative justice system. Prison Fellowships, Jackie Katunas. In the pre-sentencing option, even though it's legislated that judges must take into account restorative justice outcomes, it doesn't necessarily mean a discount, but there must be an acknowledgement that this person has been willing to be accountable. So we can't distort the truth. We need to be honest about what it is uh, and the benefits of that. And Tim Clark from Restorative Justice Aotearoa says in some cases he's aware of, offenders have received heavier sentences as a direct result of a conference.
the police had taken a statement and elected a charge on the basis of the information that they knew, but when the victim sat in the conference and explained exactly what the offender did, the judge took that into consideration, and in fact the, the sentence that was imposed was longer. But other victim advocacy groups have also raised concerns about restorative justice processes. Hello, you have reached the National Office for Victim Support. Victim Support has announced that restorative justice procedures require urgent review to avoid harming victims. The organisation fears people who have experienced crime could become re-victimised because the current system is often too centred on offenders. Its Auckland District Manager Catherine Lawler says restorative justice has potential to work for victims and does in some cases. But she says at present the system is often designed to ensure that an offender has the opportunity to have their case heard in a timely manner, without any allowance for a victim's needs. It's difficult to balance that right against a victim's right to be able to meet with an offender when it's appropriate for them. Because they're going through a whole different process of grief and loss for trauma and um, it's hard for us to say that this process has to happen within this fortnight or this week. And that's often the time frame that they get. Victim support would like to see a parallel justice approach to be established, which would see different paths for victims and offenders. Catherine Lawler says that would include improving information about the process for victims, offering victim-offender meetings throughout the entire criminal justice process, not just before sentencing, and providing a support plan for the victim alongside the rehabilitation plan for the offender. She says her organisation isn't interested in limiting the rights of offenders, but the rights of victims do need to be improved. In a just and humane society, of course, accused have their rights and they need to be maintained, and we have a whole system that's funded around maintaining that, and rightly so. Not many people would argue that we need to shift that, but in doing that we have to be a fair society and say we put the same energy, the same action and the same resources into doing that for victims. I did the wrong thing. I went up to school and I did that damage. It was a stupid thing to do. But I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm really sorry. A child, youth and family dramatisation tells the story of Eddie, a young man who is referred to undertake a family group conference after he vandalises a primary school building. The agency's practice advisor, Alan McRae, has met a number of young people like Eddie over the years. He has been working with the organisation since 1980, when he was based at a boys' home that, at the time, was dealing with 1,200 youngsters a year. That particular residence, like others throughout the country, has now been shut down. Alan McRae says this country used to have one of the highest rates of juvenile incarceration in the world before restorative justice techniques were introduced in the 80s. He says that improvement may not be well documented because New Zealand isn't very good at celebrating its successes. I can remember as an early practitioner going to the, the court and seeing young people lined around the, the walls waiting for their time. In fact, the queue in Auckland went out the through the main entrance and they were standing in a line along the side of the building and very few adults involved with them. Now we're seeing the situation where most young people come in before the court are supported by adults and family and that's got to be a positive change and the the queue it's dropped dramatically. For Mr McRae the evidence of the success of New Zealand's restorative justice system is in how hungry the rest of the world is to learn about it. 
He has recently returned from California, where he trained the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department in restorative justice. He has also helped Belgium, Germany, Thailand, Singapore and parts of the U.S. to establish their own family group conference processes. Mr McRae says, like New Zealand, the United States is looking at ways to better manage its burgeoning prison population. He says a visit to Iowa in 2000 drove home the extent of the state's problematic rate of imprisonment. I read the um, the paper when I was there in 2000 and it said if they kept incarcerating people at the current rate, the state was going to be bankrupt by 2010. So people are desperate to find an alternative. And when you do incarcerate people, there's also the need to reintegrate them back into the community. And how do you do that? Mr McRae believes that for youth offenders, incarceration is the least effective way of preventing further criminal activity. He says putting juveniles behind bars is a good way to force them to affiliate with gangs. Often people go into prison and end up coming out very aligned to a gang, very obligated to that gang because of the, their personal safety that they felt within that environment. If you can prevent that then you're going to reduce offending. Yet, despite the international acclaim for New Zealand's restorative justice system, there are some signs of disappointment. Baroness Vivian Stern is a member of the British House of Lords and the Honorary President of Penal Reform International, a non-governmental organisation promoting global prison reform. She was also guest speaker at a prison fellowship conference last month where she said while New Zealand has the best youth justice system in the world, its high adult imprisonment rate made it a country of great contradictions. Ms Stern says New Zealand has an international reputation for its restorative justice procedures, with family group conferences garnering particular attention. But she says it's disappointing that the development of a system that's so highly coveted internationally appears to have entered a hiatus. Those of us who have always supported this and found it so inspiring uh, are quite disappointed that it's not going somewhere else gradually. It's not transforming the whole system. It's got into a niche and that's where it is. The Ministry of Justice says it's currently working on extending the provision of restorative justice conferences so that they're available to victims at all courts around the country. And while observers contemplate the future of offender victim conferences, Linda is clear about the difference restorative justice has made to her future. Two years after she met face-to-face with the man who killed her son, she is now a staunch advocate for a process she claims has set her free. Hey, I believe if you sow one seed, if in ten years he reflects back on what went down that day and makes some move forward, that's going to be a whole lot better than nothing. And that programme was written and presented by Penny Smith.